Hey, this is Ashley, and this is School and Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in a mentor moment, I want to talk about the psychological price you pay when you stay too long in a job you hate. The truth is that when we are in jobs that no longer serve us, jobs that we hate, jobs where we're not being paid well, where we're being overworked and underpaid, working in roles that don't really align with our skill sets or our passions, we end up paying a pretty significant psychological price in those roles. And it starts slow. It's kind of insidious. Maybe it first kicks off with your boss ignoring you or your input on an important project. And then because of that gaslighting and that being ignored, you start to feel rejected or withdraw or feel defeated in your work. And because you feel rejected and now you're withdrawn and you feel defeated, your performance starts to decline because you feel like no one listens to you, no one hears you, no one understands you and your work. And so you feel like your performance starts to decline. Then maybe you get a bad review and now it's not just your performance is declining, but everyone knows it, right? Like your boss, your supervisor, your um, colleagues maybe have seen that decreased performance and they're sort of putting you on notice. And even after a job, a bad um, job review, then we're like, okay, I got to get out of this job. I can't let this role ruin my reputation. And you start a job search, but maybe it's unsuccessful. Maybe you're not getting callbacks. Maybe you're not gaining any traction in your job search. And now you feel more stuck than ever. This kind of psychological mindfuck, if you will, can happen over any series of years. And the psychological price that you pay is high. It is so, it is so high. And I just want to remind people that It is so important to be attuned to your mental health and your mental wellness and the psychological price you pay when you stay in a job too long. We know the financial aspects of staying in a job too long that you hate. We know that when you're not making enough money in your career, it has long-term effects on your family, your ability to build wealth, your financial freedom. But one of the things I don't think folks talk enough about is the psychological price you pay, the starting to feel defeated, the imposter syndrome that you feel, the overwhelm, the frustration, the annoying, the disappointment that you start to feel over the course of your career when you don't really feel like you're showing up and the way that you desire, or you don't feel like your career is advancing in the ways that you desire. And so I want to bring that to the podcast because I want you to know that you're not alone. The burnout, the overwhelm, the frustration you feel isn't no big deal. You are paying a serious psychological and financial price every time you stay in a role where your boss ignores your input, passes you over for a raise or promotion, disrespects you in front of a customer or client, or calls you out for not meeting expectations, especially when they've never really articulated what the expectations are. And the truth is that help is available. If you feel like you're in a situation where you don't know what to do next in your career, where you tried everything and nothing seems like it's working, I want you to know that help is available. As a mentor, I'm here to help you take action in your career, to give you the support that you need and the the help that you need to move away from a role that's no longer serving you. If this conversation has been helpful, I want you to apply for the accelerator today. You can apply right on my website at mentor-me.org. That's M-E-N-T-O-R-me.org. I'm looking forward to helping you. Next up in I Digress, we're going to talk about abuse by any other name. 
And today we're going to talk a bit about emotional abuse. Just like the psychological price you pay when you stay too long in a job you hate, there's also a psychological price you pay when you stay in a relationship that's abusive. And what's true is that it's pretty easy to call out physical harm, punching, hitting, slapping as signs of abuse in relationships. But the more insidious emotional, financial, and sexual abuse can be harder to spot. Obviously, in today's conversation, um, we're going to be talking a lot about interpersonal and like romantic relationships. But I think that these also can show up in relationships with our family, our parents in particular, for millennials. And this can also show up in our relationships with friends. And so I want you to kind of open your mind as I'm having this conversation, as we're having this conversation together. Because I think that abuse can really show up in a lot of different ways. And it's important that we we sort of recognize all the ways that it can show up and all the ways that we might be ignoring it or maybe minimizing it when we really shouldn't. Also, as a trigger warning before we get into this conversation, if you or someone was experiencing abuse, I encourage you to connect with the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org. I definitely think that is a great place to go to get help that you need to recognize the signs and to connect or chat with a counselor or a caseworker who can help you. So I think when it comes to abuse, I think one of the things that I've definitely like started to understand is that abuse and abuse, abuse is a lot about power and control. I think that abusers abuse people for power and control, like the desire to control someone else's movements, their feelings, their decision-making takes over some people and they start being manipulative and lying and putting things in front of you to second guess yourself. And that's all in an effort to control you and to have power over you. And some of the ways in which you can sort of recognize abuse or some of the common signs of abusive behaviors is like telling you never do anything right. Right. So this idea that like, you're never right. You're always wrong. Your ideas are silly. They're dismissing your ideas or the way you do things. There's no, I don't know, positive attributes about you. They never sort of have anything nice to say. If you're experiencing that in a relationship, that's a common sign um, of abuse or a common tool of an ab- of abusers. I think another sign is preventing and discouraging you from spending time with friends, family, or peers. If you're in a relationship where they never want you to spend any time with anyone else, if they're like, oh, your friends or your friends be out in the streets and I don't want you out there and your family hates me. And so I don't want you around them and your coworkers, they're just all idiots. So you shouldn't be friends with them. Like if they're preventing or discouraging you from spending time with other people in your life, that's a common sign um, of abusive behavior and something to note. I think also controlling finances in the household uh, without discussion or taking um, your money or refusing to provide money for necessary expenses is also a common sign of abusive behavior. And this is one that I've had experience with. I was in a relationship where I, at the time, well, I was in a relationship where basically I didn't have very much money. I was a student. I didn't have like... I was working and I was a student, but I just had very little money. And my partner had like a lot more money than I had. And there was a lot of 
it wasn't so much control of the finances, but there was a lot of like shaming and finger wagging and dismissiveness about money. So like when I was having money problems or needed support that wasn't offered or available. And then as I started to make more money and was making decisions for myself about how I would spend this new money, there was a lot of like shaming and disapproval that like that. So going back to that, telling you, you never do anything right. There was a lot of that in the relationship, which made it really hard. And it definitely was a sign of abusive behavior or was abusive behavior. I think anytime you have a partner who's insulting you regularly, insulting your parenting or insulting the way you look or insulting like your every move and threatening to harm you or the people you love, your partners, or your parents, or your children that you all have may have together or someone else, even like your pets, like threatening, like um, insulting you or them, and then always threatening to take them away from you. That definitely is a sign that there's something wrong. And these abusive behaviors, I think it's important that we talk about them because I think a lot of times it's like, oh, that's just how he is. Or yeah, my, my parents never like anybody, right? Like you can kind of excuse it away, but it's important to remember that no one deserves to experience abuse of any kind for any reason. And that every type of abuse is serious, right? Like there's, whether it's them emotionally abusing you or financially abusing you or physically abusing you or even sexual abuse, they're all serious. They're all detrimental. They're not all not okay. And they're all your abusive partners effort to establish and gain power and control. And you are a whole person. You have freedom and ability to uh, agile, like move in freedom and, and with agility through this world. And no one should be controlling you at any point in your relationship. And if you're experiencing abuse and like trying to like navigate that, the National Domestic Violence Hotline recommends a plan for safety and really like trying to develop a plan where you can lower your risk for being hurt by your partner and ways to like safely get out of an abusive relationship. And so to learn more about that, you can go to the hotline.org and they have information about creating the safety plan that includes everything from like home, school, job, technology, your children, your emotional health, all the ways that you can protect yourself and safely get out of a situation that where you're experiencing abuse. There's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. And on their website, they also have a live chat and a text messenger that you can connect with as well. And if maybe it's not you that is experiencing abuse, but maybe there's someone that is, it is important for you to have a conversation with those in your life who you think might be experiencing abuse. Being there is a great first step and just like letting them know that you are here for them. There are so many reasons why people stay in abusive relationships and leaving can be dangerous. And so like notes around, well, oh, just leave them or just walk away or why are you still there? That's not really helpful. Um, there's so many reasons, both psychological, financial, that people stay. But I think 
that one of the things that the National Domestic Violence Hotline talks about is that like having survivors of abuse feel empowered to make their own decisions is one of the most important ways that you can help someone and like letting them know that like you're there for them and that they can make decisions like empower like reminding them of who they are and that like they can make decisions and that the fear and shame that they might be experiencing right now is like temporary and doesn't have to be like that for forever. I think that is like a really, like a real tangible way to support them. And they recommend, they have some specific um, steps to sort of talk to someone who you think might be being abused. And the first of them is to follow your instinct, right? Like if you feel like you should talk to them, then talk to them. If you're like, oh, I don't know, then maybe don't move forward. But the worst that they, the worst that could happen is that they just don't want to talk to you, right? Or they deny it or whatever. But at least you've done what you felt like was best. You reached out and you said, hey, I'm concerned about you. And you expressed that concern. And at least they know at this point that there's somebody that cares enough about them to raise the issue. They do suggest that you approach them in a confidential manner, but you consider starting with observations. Don't like tell them, oh, I know this and I know that. Like you want to just say, hey, here's what I've observed. Here's what I've seen. You seem stressed lately. I saw a black eye. You seem nervous all the time. You seem distracted. You're falling asleep at your desk. Like whatever it is, like let them know that like what you've observed. Obviously, listen to what they have to say and ask if they've created a safety plan. We talked um, about that safety plan and what's included in it and information about starting a safety plan is available on the hotline.org. And then I think the other thing that you have to do, and I think this is the hardest part, because if you do really care about someone who's being abused, it can be so hard not to just yank them out of the situation or be like finger wag like you need to do get out of this but you really do have to respect their decision you want to let them know you're a safe place to come to but the decision um is their own and the abusive relationship that they're in right now is creating situations where they don't feel any autonomy or support or ability to make decisions and you don't want to perpetuate that by just telling them what to do you want to make sure that you are, are actually being a safe place for them to land, not just another relationship where they're controlled. Let me know if this conversation was helpful. I love to hop in DMs and talk about this. I just, I think it's so important to talk about abuse, to talk about ways in which it impacts our lives and just make sure that people feel safe and they know what the resources are. Again, if you or someone you love is experiencing abuse, please do um, reach out for help. One way to get help is the hotline.org at T-H-E hotline.org. And I digress. And last but not least this week is TVT. And I've been thinking about, as I was preparing for this episode and thinking about abuse, one of the things that I was sort of thinking about is does TV normalize abuse? And the, and the kind of abuse that I think TV does kind of normalize and that I think is really problematic is this sort of like, like, emotional abuse of like ignoring your partner or dismissing their ideas or like the jokes always on them. I think that the way that TV sort of positions characters, right? And they are, they're characters, right? It's not necessarily a reflection of real life. It's a character, but like they're always opposites attract. It's always sort of two different people kind of trying to move through a relationship. And there's always a smart one and a not so bright one or whatever. There's always, they're juxtaposed against each other. And I think that is a 
space where abuse can happen, where like minimizing and belittling and dismissal can really happen. And I've seen it happen both ways. You have the the beautiful lady with the, you know, lug of a husband and she crack, she's cracking jokes on him and he's lazy and he doesn't really do anything. He's not smart. He's not capable, that kind of thing. And then you see it the other way where you have this sort of dumb ditzy girl in the relationship and there's a guy who's like, quote unquote, loves her, but then like, is always cracking jokes on her saying how she's not smart, how she's really not good at anything, how she's always messing up. Think I love Lucy, Lucy and Ricardo, the cracking of the jokes on Lucy and the always belittling her and she could never do anything right. Like maybe I'm thinking too deep into it, but I do think that some of that relationship dynamic just really does not, isn't supportive. It's not encouraging. It's not engaging. It's abusive. Like it's emotional abuse. It's not funny. And I think that we've made it funny. We've kind of made that jokes on you. And while I don't think that TV um, and movies necessarily perpetuate or emulate real life in any particular way, I definitely think that it does, it does normalize behaviors in a way that may not, may be unhealthy. So I just wonder, and this is like the challenge with being woke, (laughs) right? Because when you're quote unquote woke, then you watch everything or view everything in a different view with a different lens. And then you're just like, oh, and then you can't enjoy quote unquote anything because it's like, oh no, like I'm overanalyzing, but maybe you're not, maybe you're not overanalyzing. I do think this is, it's important that we that we interrogate, right? That we interrogate what we're watching, what we sort of normalize, what we're what we're viewing. So something, definitely something to think about. And th- just think about your favorite TV show. Like, how are the characters made up? Is it normalized abuse in any particular way? That wraps up this week's episode of School and Life. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to connect with you next week. School's out. Class dismissed.